The Johnson family looks forward to Christmas dinner every year. Excuse me, bud, but I think you're going to need to take those air buds out of your ears I'm good. at the table. I'm good. No, we don't wear those in our ears at the table. Uh, I've told you a hundred times, no air buds. Do not it's talk not an air pod. It's not an air, air pod, it's, it's an air bud. It's an air Well, a funny thing happened at work. Nobody cares. Would you let me finish a story? I'm trying to finish this story about a funny thing that happened at work, and you keep interrupting because you're disrespectful to me. The only thing that's funny is how sad your life is. Are you going to let her talk to me like that? Really? I we do not talk to our father I went to way. the store today to buy an inflatable snowman because that's what we needed in front of our we house. We do not I drive a Chevy Equinox. I am a man. Nobody cares. So how was your day last night? It sucked, Mom. Thanks for asking. It probably was terrible because of the guys you hang out with. I They're not even that bad. They're not that good, are they? So your grandma called? My grandma's dead, Mom. Your other grandma! You don't talk Nobody to your mother that way! Are you guys so much about I'm so done with you! Oh my god! But you did now! Everybody's upset! We didn't have any peace on Earth! Grow up! What about goodwill toward men? Nobody cares about men! That's what... Thank you to Steve and Amanda and their family for letting us into Tuesday night dinner. Really. <laughs> they, they wanted me to go on record and say that it's, that was improv. That was not how it really goes at their, at their Christmas dinner. But, but some of us watching that, maybe you saw the hilarity of it. Some, some of us maybe were like, ooh, that's really, that's really close to home. I've sat down before at a Christmas dinner, and what I expected to experience was anything like what I actually experienced. And isn't it true that sometimes Christmas can have this, this high expectation and some low delivering on those expectations? I remember personally back to some toys that I received as a young kid, which upon opening them immediately broke. And just the feeling of thanks a lot, mom and dad, you ruined Christmas for me. Uh, every year, there's um, songs that we sing, and there's, there's this one song, I don't know if you can relate to this, there's this one song that every year this guy is remembering the last Christmas where he gave his heart away, and then he swears that this year, to save him from tears, he's going to give it to someone special, and then this year he's still singing that song, 
Every year it's like Groundhog Day for this terrible experience. He expects something better and yet it never actually materializes. Some of you are just picking up on the joke. That's fine. <laughs> you know, we, we try for peace and joy and happiness, but isn't it true that sometimes all we get at Christmas is frustrations, soul-crushing debt, and arguments? Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, that's sometimes what happens. It's not just Christmas that can leave us with an expectation gap. Sometimes life itself can often feel this way. We wake up in a new decade of our lives, but we have the same old situation and we're tired of it. Or perhaps you've done everything in life the way you were supposed to do it. You've been, you've been really intentional and, and, and very uh, upstanding in the way that you've gone about your work, and yet someone else got the promotion that you deserve. Um, you, you haven't found necessarily what you're looking for yet. Or maybe you're the one who gave your heart away to someone who gave your heart away. The person in the nativity story that shows us how to deal with disappointment and missed expectations the most is the guy who was hiding in the back last week, (laughs) who was there the whole time, who looks like a shepherd because he looks like a shepherd. I said he was a shepherd last week, and it's actually this guy. Does anybody know this guy's name? This is Joseph. (laughs) Everyone, last week, if you don't get the joke, Joseph, I was like, we don't have it. We bought a nativity city with no Joseph in it. And so many of you came up to me and you're like, um, I am not a Bible scholar, but you have a Joseph. It's the one with the hook. And I'm sorry. I was looking for a framing square, not some hook. And I don't even know if I can just like, there we go. Joseph needs a, a hand, but for shepherds. Now Joseph's a carpenter, he lost some fingers. <laughs> Historically accurate. This is what we're pursuing these days. <laughs> um, Joseph tells us a lot about missed expectations. Is the hand too much? Do you have to put a bandaid on it for some of you? <laughs> if you look at the scene, if you look at the scene, you know, it, it seems so... There's something about this that that we've lived with so long that has evoked in us just a a happy sort of memory, something peaceful about this. I was running through my neighborhood this week and noticing how many people have nativity scenes in their yards. And I'd be, you know, huffing and puffing, but I'd see a nativity scene and remind me that God has come to earth. And there's just this thing that happens about peace and just tranquility and happiness that comes because we see this scene. And we're so accustomed to the scene that we might imagine that every single character in the scene has some sort of just contentment and some sort of Ah, about them. And yet actually, we've been looking at the backstories of of these characters this season as we think about the star of Christmas being this baby in the manger. And as Joseph is the one who came to this scene, I want to show you that this scene for him was anything but relaxing and peaceful. Joseph uh, was a, a man from Nazareth, a man 
uh, born in the same lineage. He had a really famous ancestor, a guy who used to be the king of Israel. That's kind of how far his family had fallen. His, this ancestor was the King David. And Joseph now was born to carpenters. They were people who would help make things, make homes, make furniture for, for people. Joseph uh, was a modest guy. He was a blue-collar guy. And he um, was engaged to be married to Mary. He was engaged to be married to Mary, you guys. Come on, this is not that. You know this. You know this. We're going we're gonna to get into his story a little bit today. And, and Joseph is um, betrothed. That's an old-fashioned word to describe married. It's, a, it's actually, though, a, a step in the marriage process. There are three steps that Joseph in this day and age would go through as a young man, a, a groom, as it were. He would be arranged in a marriage by his parents to uh, another woman, you know, to, to a woman who was also being arranged in this marriage to this man. Uh, who gives this woman to be married to this man? It was, it was old, old, old words that are given from an arranged marriage situation where uh, the, the engagement would take place. A sum of money would be transferred. This is more, mostly economic back in those days. Joseph would be paid by, by Mary's parents, and they would become engaged. After some time, they would actually meet, and, and Mary would have an opportunity to say yes or no. And if she said no, the parents were out a lot of money. But if she said yes, she was saying, I, I, what I've learned about this man is that he's the type of man who will take care of me, who will provide for my needs. And so I'm in. And the two of them would go and they would get betrothed. This is a legal ceremony that would happen in front of, of a priest. And at the betrothal, they were announced husband and wife. But there was no, you may kiss your bride at this moment. When you're betrothed, you had a waiting period, a year-long waiting period in which you would be put to the test as a couple. First, the man would be put to the test because he would have to start providing for his wife. And oftentimes that meant building an addition onto your parents' home. So Joseph, being a carpenter, we know that later in life Jesus is, is identified as, isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? Joseph had a reputation for being a fine craftsman. And I imagine in this year of waiting where, where we catch up with Joseph and Mary in this, in this process, Joseph was building, in the process of building, one of the finest custom homes for Mary in Nazareth. I don't think that's too much of a leap. I think that Mary probably was watching Joseph put himself to work, making incredible mortise and tenon joinery. And, and oh, okay, I'm not going to nerd out on all the woodworking stuff. But, but he was in it, and he was working, and he was doing the right thing. In this day and age, too, what you did physically as a couple was indicative of the type of people that you were. And so it was incredibly important. The eyes of the community were watching you to make sure that you were acting appropriately because the wedding day was coming. And the wedding day was a celebration. You've gone through all of this process. You've been prepared a home. Now the two of you are ready for your life together. You can actually start off on the right foot. And, and you'd have a whole entire feast in the community. Everyone in town would be looking forward to your wedding ceremony. Everybody would know that you were betrothed. Everybody would be anticipating the day when you two could become one flesh is how the Bible describes it. I think you know what that means. And you were not to be one flesh until the marriage ceremony itself. So you'd get engaged, you'd have a betrothal, there'd be a year, and then there'd be a wedding. And Joseph is doing the right thing. Joseph is called a righteous man, Matthew tells us. He, he's 
working really, really well. He's the Nicholas Sparks character that every woman desires. I mean, he's doing the right stuff, man. And when, when we meet Joseph and Mary, they're in this second phase. They're in this betrothal period awaiting marriage. And Joseph's honoring his parents. He's working hard. He's honoring Mary. He's building a home. He's respecting his wife. He's waiting for life to unfold in its proper course at its proper time. And one day, Mary sits him down. And he tur she turns his world completely upside down. He's expecting this life ahead. And she says to him, Joseph, I know this isn't what you expect, but I'm expecting. I don't know how that would go for you. I think I know what that would do for me. There's no number on the blood pressure meter to describe how high that would go. She says to him, I'm pregnant. I think she quickly added, but it's not what you think. To which I'm sure Joseph didn't respond very well. She says, I haven't been unfaithful to you, which I don't think Joseph believed. She says, an angel told me that it's God's baby, which I think Joseph correctly assessed Mary the same way you would assess Mary in that moment. Joseph's no fool. Joseph knows how these things work. Joseph has done his part perfectly. He's imagined the world in which he's building this home and bringing this woman, this young girl, Mary, who he's starting to fall in love with, back to this home to build a family together. Every time he puts a, a, a piece of wood together and joins another wall or, or builds a piece of furniture, he's imagining the kids that are going to one day populate this dining room table with him. And here she is sucker punching him in the gut. Joseph wasn't expecting any of this. His eager expectations were completely shattered. He'd been betrayed. Part of why, part of why I believe the Christmas story is true, like the way the, that Matthew records the Christmas story, part of why I believe Luke has an accurate understanding of how Jesus came into this world is because of the little details in the story that tell us that this was actually a really big problem for Joseph. I think sometimes we look at this and we see like two very willing participants in God's plan and yet we forget the tremendous turmoil that this put upon Mary and Joseph. There's this line that Matthew writes. Matthew writes um, that Joseph had resolved in his heart to divorce Mary quietly. Despite the devastation, Joseph acts with compassion towards Mary. The law of this day was on Joseph's side. Joseph had tremendous legal leverage in this situation. What most people would do, what the rabbis would have told him to do, what the legal scholars would have told him to do, what his own parents would have told him to do, would be to do what everyone else in this day did, which was to go out publicly and to disgrace the unfaithful partner and to say, because of this person's un inability to control themselves, their unfaithfulness to me, because of their infidelity, because of their betrayal, I am innocent and I am putting them out of my life. And the whole entire community would applaud the person who was righteous while the whole entire community would shun the one 
who was unfaithful. But Joseph actually doesn't want to ruin Mary's life. He decides, despite having the law on his side, despite the law requiring him to press charges against Mary, he decides to do so in a way that is honoring to her. And so he hatches a plan. Now I've read Matthew's account, I've read Luke's account, and if I see what they're saying together and kind of harmonize them, we can kind of imagine that there's this moment where Joseph got together with Mary's family. Mary's parents must have been so embarrassed, must have been so ashamed. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't, I'm sure they said, I don't know what she was thinking. And Joseph approaches them. Mary, your daughter is pregnant, not my baby. I know, not my baby. They would know before he ever uttered the words that divorce was the next option. And so together he said, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause her to lose out on any opportunity for her in this life. But the law doesn't give me the chance to give her a second chance. What's done is done. Is there, I think Joseph went to them and said, is there anywhere she could go? And I think her parents got together and said, well, we do have family members out in the country. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth and I wonder if maybe she can spend some time there so that she can get out of town so that she can avoid some of the embarrassment. Maybe she can be taken care of by her family there, but she, she can't stay here. Even today, where there are areas of community failures, people have done something that is, is, is catastrophic or, or incredibly sensitive and, and have done something wrong, people will leave the community and go hide out, almost like refugees themselves, as it were. And this is what Mary does. For three months, she goes out into the wilderness, out into the countryside of, of Judea, to her cousin's home, to Elizabeth's home. And I, I might be wrong about how that conversation went down, but it is interesting to me that she takes this journey, this convenient journey for three months and stays with her relatives. And we know that Joseph stays behind. And I think if Joseph threw a pity party for himself, I wouldn't blame him. In fact, I'd join him. I think any of his friends, any of his buddies would stay with him in the late hours of the night and say, man, this really stinks. Man, we're so looking forward to what you were building. We're so looking forward to <clears throat> the life that you had. And I think there's these moments in Joseph's heart, the moments that you've had when you felt betrayed too, where you've wondered, well, how could I get hurt like this? This isn't imagine what I, what I thought of when my life was unfolding for me. Other people get divorced, but I don't get divorced. This isn't fair. The gall, to, I think this is the one that would get me the most. The gall to tell me that the baby is from God. Like, if you're going to lie to me, make it believable. I think um, Joseph didn't have the, the category for Christmas yet, but I think if he did, he would say, thanks a lot, Mary, you ruined Christmas. And I actually think, in Joseph's mind, what she did was ruin his life. All of the things that were going his way, all of the 
ways that the community was supporting him, all of the hopes and dreams that were ahead of him, all of the ways in which he was trying to do the right thing for God to receive the blessings for God, all of what his future held in front of him, this life that he was about to behold, that he was on the tracks to achieve, having children in his home, Joseph realized all he had was an empty house and the stars above his head. And Joseph was lonely. Joseph was left all by himself. Joseph was there in the emptiness of his home with nothing but his quiet thoughts. And you say, Dan, this seems like a, quite a bit of a stretch to feel so deeply what Joseph is saying. But I want you to look with me at what Matthew says, the next verse. Here, he, he says this, what, what, what happens in the next verse, it's, it's verse 20. He says, but after he had considered this, after in his own thoughts he had considered what he would do, which is divorce quietly, Mary, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and turned his whole world upside down. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I imagine, Joe, have you ever been in a dream where you interact with your dream and you kind of like understand what's going on in your dream, but you're conscious, you get subconscious, you know that weird moment that you can have where you can influence your dream and whatnot. I bet this, this was one of those dreams for Joseph where he was like, oh, come on. Like, she was telling me the truth. And Joseph awakes from the dream. He, the, 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 the angel says, you should give birth to a son. You give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And Joseph awakes from the dreams. And, and, and he takes Mary as his wife. Just when he imagined that everything was going against him, a messenger from God flips the world on its axis and then spins the globe the other way. Courage, Joseph. Courage is what you need. Because God is alive in Mary. She is the virgin who will be with child, who is with the child that Isaiah has spoken about. Her son is going to change the world by offering forgiveness of sins. As for you, Joseph, all you get to do, all you have to do is just name him a name that is fitting for his mission. You'll call him Jesus. I think if Mary's betrayal caught him off guard, this moment here really spun him off his feet. I even think the angel has a little bit of an edge, a tone to the message like, like, Joseph, here you are in your house, underneath the stars, in the middle of everything. Joseph, you kind of made yourself main character here, dude. Like, Joseph, you think everything's about you, don't you? You have no concept that in the trials that you're facing, that none of this is actually about you, bro. That in this hard time that you're going through, yes, it's hard, but, but could you get your eyes off of yourself for just a little second to see that God is moving, that God is doing something, even in the hard moment that you find yourself in. Stop being so main character. This may be what the angel would say. And instead, you're invited to be a part of this child's life. You're invited for this. You're going to invite this child to be a part of yours. When Joseph 
was invited by the angel to stay with Mary, to continue the engagement, to actually take her to be his wife. Joseph is actually invited to act out the blessings of Christmas. I've thought about the Christmas story a lot in my life, but I've never realized the, the forerunning that Joseph has to do that show us what his son will do. Joseph actually acts out the very same things. The the angel calls him to, to, to be a precursor, a forerunner, someone who will model for the world what his son is going to do for everyone. Joseph is a righteous man. That means he's close to God. He pursues God's heart. But Joseph is just a man. And yet in what he does in obeying God, we see a few things that remind us of what his son is going to do. That while he is a tragic figure in the story in some sense, that because of what he does, we see this, that though he is innocent and righteous, he is invited to take a posture of being guilty for the sake of his child. While salvation is coming into the world, it would invite his suffering and he would have to endure public shame And while Mary wasn't guilty, Joseph's embrace of her and this child would demonstrate forgiveness that the law didn't have a category for. Put simply, Jesus is a, or Joseph is a precursor to the type of grace and forgiveness that Jesus was bringing into this world. And I think as he stays with Mary, he gives three declarations about God's plan in the upside down moments of life. As, as Joseph embraces this reality that this is truly a work of God, he makes three declarations at his wedding day that I want to just bring into our hearing today as we think about what he teaches us in these unexpected moments. Three really simple lessons, three declarations that Joseph makes. First is that whatever God is doing in his mind is worth whatever it would cost him. That whatever God was up to is worth whatever it would cost him. Joseph heard the same angel that Mary heard, heard the same news, and probably didn't understand it except to know that God is doing something incredible. Whatever it's going to cost me, I'm convinced and committed to be close to what God is up to. I think when he awoke from the dream and took Mary as his wife, he knew the social shame that was going to be directed at him that nobody was going to look at Mary as the unfaithful one. They would all see him and despise him. I think one of the reasons that we take this story seriously is because Joseph did calculate the costs. He knew what it would cost him. And yet, he was willing to pay the price of the legal shame and the religious shame, the social shame, the familial shame. He looked at all of it and said, if God is in this, it is worth it. It's worth it to know what God is up to, even though this is unexpected and I wouldn't have chosen it myself. You know, Joseph was willing to endure the sneers and the shame that would be heaped upon him as he helped raise a child that was not his. Matthew's really clear about who Joseph is in this story. Joseph, technically speaking, is the foster father of Jesus. The angel has invited Joseph to wed his wife, Mary, but to adopt 
her son and to foster him. I, I have friends who have served, you have friends who have served probably in the foster, as foster parents, and they tell me how many aspects of it are just completely rewarding. And I was on a run yesterday, someone was telling me about their, their um, foster kid and how they helped them in, in getting some college scholarships and how rewarding they said it's the best $100 I've ever spent was helping this kid get into college. But I also hear stories from my friends who have been foster parents of how absolutely difficult it is at the same time. Joseph, they said, like Joseph, they said, whatever God is going to do through them is worth whatever it would cost me. And so these, these are people who love and provide safe homes. And I love the fact that the gospel comes to us. The good news of God's work in this world comes to us through the yes of a guy who's a foster father. And it cost Joseph to say yes to God's plan. It cost him, after this child was born, to flee to Egypt and to escape the maniacal reign of this guy named Herod who was trying to kill anyone who was a threat to his throne. Joseph had to move his life time and time again. John chapter 8, Jesus later in his life is arguing with the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders in Israel. They're the teachers of the law. And in sparring with Jesus, they look at him and say, we aren't the one who was born in infidelity. As if to say, Jesus, we know how you came into this world. We know about your parents. They were not righteous people. Joseph knew that the story was not going to be understood by the world around him, and yet he was willing to say, whatever it cost me to help bring in God's mission into the world, to be obedient to what God is up to, even though I don't get it, I'm here for it. And I, I'm willing to take the cost. I think it's important for us to realize that there are things that God is calling us to that might cost us something, but would show us what God is up to in our own lives. I, I, um, I wonder if you've got a calling on your life. I know some of you at Heartland have been wrestling with this calling. You've got this, this desire to uh, maybe leave the secular marketplace or to actually jump into a life in a nonprofit world or, or to help even in a church. It's such a career change and, and no one in your family would understand. And it's just such a, why would you give up that much money? It doesn't make sense to anyone. But you viscerally feel God calling you to something that is unexpected. And you know what it would cost you. And I think Joseph shows us that it's always worth the cost to follow the prompting of God. I know for some of us, you're, you're feeling like God is calling you this year, right here, maybe right now, to even believe what no one in your family has ever believed before. That this story that we celebrate at Christmas isn't some fairy tale, it's actually true history. That everything that you've lived in this life, kind of going through the season, it was all about the commercialism and the, 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 the holiday side of it. And you've, you've kind of leaned in more towards what Hallmark tells you about it than what the church tells you about it. But for some reason, you're here today and you're like, no, but I understand that this child is special, that his calling was special, and I feel drawn to believe in him. But nobody in my family would let me live it down. The shame that would come to me if they knew that I was even coming to a church or watching a church online, I don't want to deal with that. And I want to let you know that Joseph shows us that it's always worth it to pay whatever cost it takes to see what God is doing in you. Whatever God is doing is worth more than the cost. What the angel said to Joseph, I think, is what I want to say to you. 
Have courage, friend. God is at work within you. Joseph declares it's worth it to give your life to God to stay near to Jesus. And there's a second declaration that Joseph makes when he gives Mary uh, his hand and asks for hers. It's one of the greatest themes of Christmas that we see here. It's that God is the God of second chances. Does anybody believe that God is a God of second chances? I believe that, that God is a God. I just, I'm curious. I know that you're kind of listening and you're reflecting, but is anyone else with me? Amen. Amen. Here's how we see second chances in this story. There's that moment where Mary is with Elizabeth. And if I'm right about the whole idea that she went off there to kind of hide away for a little bit, I think that, that it's very possible that when the angel came to Joseph, he awoke from the dream and he realized, I need to go to Judea to get Mary and tell her that it's okay. And it set off a journey for him to leave and to actually go travel. And, and I wonder what that moment was like when Mary was in the home of her relative and the last person in the world that she thought would be barging through the front door was Joseph. But he barges in and he calls out, Mary, are you here? And he's got this crazy look in his eye. And, and he, he, he's calling for her and she says, Joseph, what are you doing here? And he grabs for her hand. And, and he says to her, I know. I know that you were true. I know that you're right. And I know that I was wrong. None of this made sense to me, Mary, but, but, but it does now. God has told me the same thing God has told you. And I, I can't prove it, but I got to believe that Joseph, being a good man, would have asked this question. Mary, will you forgive me for my unbelief? For what I assumed to be true about you, for what I believed to be true about you, will you forgive me, Mary? There's a moment in Hamilton. It's like the musical that's out there. It's, it's a m moment where Alexander Hamilton has, has you know, betrayed his wife publicly, very, very publicly. And he's lost his son in a duel. And his wife Eliza is strained and it's, they, she's just lost her son and she's lost her husband. And the music is going and there's a song that's being sung by the choir. It's called Can You Imagine? And the two of them are walking in the park and they're side by side, slowly getting closer and closer, and their tragedy has brought them to a point of nearness, and she reaches out and grabs his hand, and then the music stops, and the choir says one word, forgiveness, and I cry like a little baby every time I see that moment. I'm not ashamed of it. It is a Christmas moment. It is a forgiveness moment. It is what is possible because God has come to offer second chances to this world. Maybe you're not a Hamilton person, but maybe you're a home alone person. When Kevin's family is home and he's looking out the window, seeing the creepy old neighbor guy welcoming his estranged son into his arms, he has tears running down his face and this little bratty kid Kevin is looking out smirking going, They've forgiven one another. Yeah, I know, you cry at that moment too. I don't hate these moments and stories because they ultimately are embedded in the birth story of Jesus. When Joseph reunited with Mary, she felt this surprising, unexpected grace of God putting her family back together again. 
When Joseph extends his hand to Mary, she knew that God was with her and all the more the second chance grace that he's given her in this life. That her husband would bear the guilt and the shame that she was destined to bear on her own. And he did so as an act of God's grace. What Joseph did for Mary never happened in the ancient world. It was not common. I want to say it that way. It was not common in the ancient world. The law was such a powerful motivator. This, this social ethic was so strong and so accepted that, that, that the inf- unfaithful partner would be put out. The prior Jewish laws, which had been stayed by the Romans at this moment, was actually that the, the offending party, often and always the woman, was to be killed for such an offense. When Joseph gives his hand to Mary, it is such an incredible act of grace and love. It's so powerful. Some of us today, we only wish for a second chance from God. Not because we are good people like Joseph and have done nothing wrong. Or because we feel victimized in this world. But because we are so unlike Joseph, aren't we? I don't resonate with Joseph in his purity and his conduct and his perfection. Of course, he's just a a man like you and I. He is not the savior of the world. That is Mary's son, Jesus. But Joseph is presented as as a righteous man. That's the word that Matthew uses. And I, I don't feel righteous. I I know I'm not righteous. I I know that I need a second chance, not because of the good things I've done, but because of all the really rotten things that I've done. For the ways that I'm prone to making every situation about me. For the ways in which my heart craves for more and more uh, praise of me. I mean, goodness gracious, I got a microphone on, I'm on a stage and I'm talking to you about how you should live your life. Like, is that not a narcissistic thing? Kind of, right? We can admit that. Like, that's a weird thing. And I know you know the things in your life, the things in your life that just rip you to pieces, the secret shame, the the areas in which you just wish you had a second chance, like another go around at it. Joseph's bringing his, his wife into his home is one of those beautiful moments of second chances that we celebrate, that God is the God of second chances. Listen, you might be here today and feel like, You don't deserve a second chance from God after all the things you've done. But I'm here to tell you, you didn't deserve the first chance you got from God either. We have a God of second chances. And that brings us to the ultimate declaration that Joseph made when he obeyed the angel and married Mary. It's it's just very simply that Mary's child is his salvation. Mary's child is his only hope. Joseph took Mary, she, she... had the child, and Joseph carried out the one act that he was required to, count, to, to carry out, which was just naming the baby. He, he obeyed. He said, the child's name is Jesus, because an angel told me so. World, you can deal with it, because Jesus means he's here to save his people from their sins. For the rest of his life, this apparently illegitimate child would be a sign of his sin, And yet, ironically, Joseph knew a secret that not only was this child here because of his own unrighteousness, this child was not a problem for him that indicated his sin to the world. Do you get that? Like this child, the existence of a child born before they were married, it it signaled him as a sinner to the world. But Joseph knew this was not a problem child. This was a solution child. 
that God was working through this mysteriously to upend the entire cosmos to help him have a way to be clean and pure with God. Now I wonder what unexpected turns in life you might be facing. Whether you feel like the bottom's dropped out or a relationship has gone cold or it's strained, your purpose has disappeared or you might even feel like life has ganged up on you. Is it possible that where you find yourself today is the same place Joseph found himself, in the middle of a messy miracle that God was working out to help you, not to hurt you. That God was working out not because life is about you, but because life is not about you. That maybe the problems we face today are such that God is calling us and drawing us to look not at ourselves and main character ourselves, but maybe the invitation for you today is to do what all of us need to do at Christmas, which is to main character the star of Christmas. And to ask the question, God, in the midst of my challenging relationship situation, God, in the midst of my messy future, God, in the midst of what I don't know what to do next, God, in the midst of the, 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 the real tragedies that I've created for my life, would you be showing me how Jesus actually works in the midst of all of these things to bring back together a world for me, to give me a second chance? Because I recognize the only salvation I have is Mary's son. We don't feel like we need a savior when all is going well in the world. When your life's going according to your plan, this scene feels irrelevant to us. But it was when Joseph's life fell apart that the message of salvation came to him. Now, I want to just suggest to you guys, if, if your life is feeling upside down today, if this season of, of your life has just got you in a tailspin, take heart, have courage. God has come. God, against all odds, has sent himself into the story. And that's where we have the example of this man right here, who is forever indelibly etched into this image as someone who paid the cost socially, politically, relationally, who, who got a second chance at this life. One who recognized and came to realize that his only salvation in this world was that God had come. There's a one verse that I've skipped over in the way that Matthew's told this. And it's a prophecy that he shares. He says all of this happened to fulfill what God had said a long time ago would happen. Anyway, I want to read it to you. It just says all of this took place to what, fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, that the virgin will conceive, give birth to the son, they will call him Emmanuel. And Matthew tells us it means God is with us. How beautiful to know that God was with Joseph. How beautiful to know that God was with Mary. And how beautiful to know that God is with us. He's grace is here, forgiveness is here, second chance is here, life is here. Because God is here. I'd love for you to stand to your feet. We're going to respond just by singing a quick song.